At ten o'clock on the night of October 11th, 1492, Christopher Columbus saw from the deck of his caravel, the Santa Maria, a light on the horizon. Four hours later, a seaman discerned the outline of what is now known as Watling Island, and the ships were ordered to lie to. Columbus has not put on record the thoughts that lit his mind as the swift dawn broke, but he would not have been human if his sense of triumph had not been quickened by the chuckle of the man who had been proved right. For many years he had himself been certain that, because the world was round, Asia could be reached by a western route. He had inferred, because the distance between the edge of the west and the edge of the east was very long, that the distance by sea between Spain and India must be very small. To his own mind, this truth was evident, but he had argued to unheeding ears. Henry of England had been impressed, but dilatory. John of Portugal had tried to cheat him, the Council of Salamanca, while he had loitered in the courts of Spain, had dubiously weighed his testimony, deciding finally that his project was vain, impracticable, and resting on grounds too weak to merit the support of the government. Even when Queen Isabella of Castile had at last approved his plan, staking her jewellery upon her faith in him, the doubters had been more numerous than the believers. He had had the greatest difficulty in raising a crew in Palos. Now it was all over. In a few hours he would set foot on the promised land. He would soon deliver into the hands of the great Khan a letter of introduction from his sovereigns. We have heard, so the letter ran, that your highness and your subjects entertain great love for us and for Spain. We are informed, moreover, that you and your subjects very much wish to hear news from Spain. We therefore send our admiral, Christopher Columbus, who will tell you that we are in good health and perfect prosperity. I told you so, Columbus must have thought. I told you so. He was never to learn that the doubters were right and he was wrong, that his calculations had been at fault, that the group of islands that were to be known later as the West Indies were twelve thousand miles distant from Cathay and the mighty Khan, and that had not the continent of the Americas been interposed between Spain and China, his caravels would have assuredly perished in mid-ocean. We do not possess the letter in which Columbus announced his achievement to his sovereigns, but the letter which he sent to the treasurer of Aragon can indicate its nature. The Caribbean islands, he wrote, are as beautiful as any in the world, and no area is luckier in its climate. The land is fertile and mountainous, and a trade wind cools its heat. Columbus spoke of the fruit the birds, the flowers, of the towering mountains, the different kinds of palm, of trees so tall that they seemed to reach the skies and never lost their foliage. The rivers were full of gold, and the natives wore gold ornaments, which surely proved that he was within range of the riches which Marco Polo had described.
He was delighted with the appearance and behavior of the natives. They were very different from the coarse-featured Africans and the swarthy Moors with whom Europe was familiar. They were pale brown in color. Their features were fine. Their hair was coarse, but not curly, and was worn short. They were Asians rather than Moors or Africans. No trace remains of the Indians who welcomed him. They have since been named Arawaks, and there is abundant evidence that they were weak, charming, indolent, pleasure-loving. They bore, as far as we can gather, a spiritual resemblance to the Polynesians. They had broad faces and flat noses. They altered the shape of their heads, depressing their scalps in childhood with a wooden frame.